I'm Lauren Vogel, a reporter for CMAJ News, and today I'm joined by Dr. May Cohen, a women's health pioneer who will soon join other luminaries in the Canadian Medical Hall of Fame. Dr. Cohen entered medicine at a time when less than 10% of graduating physicians were female, and textbook medical research was based on a 70-kilogram male body. She went on to shatter that paradigm, co-founding Canada's first women's health office at McMaster University, as well as the Women's Health Interschool Curriculum Committee, or WISC, for Ontario medical schools. Her research on the careers of female physicians drew unprecedented attention to issues of gender and equality within the profession. And today we're going to chat about the changing status of women in medicine. Here's Dr. Cohen's take on the profession's male-dominated past. Medicine training, until very recently, focused primarily on the biology of disease. Uh, research was not uh, disaggregated by sex. You were taught about illnesses in a non-gender-sensitive way. It was a homogeneous 70-kilogram male that was your model for everything. I mean, when you talk about women in medicine, when we were in medical school and there were just a 10 of us, the anatomy professor would come in every day and we'd all sit in the front row and he'd say, good morning, gentlemen. And the first day of medical school, the dean sat down and gave us a talk at that time and said, you will wear a tie and shave every day. When did you first become aware that gender had an important influence on health? In 1975, it was the year of the woman. And uh, I was asked to participate in a uh, workshop in uh, Nova Scotia. At that point, I thought, I don't understand. What are we talking about in women's health? I mean, if you have a good doctor, both men and women will be looked after. When I got down there and I talked about things like violence and the need for pap smears and breast exams and so on, and the woman said, how did you know that we're having trouble with all that? How did you know all this when you're from Toronto? And then I realized that there were really issues involved in looking after women, and that was sort of a real eye-opener for me. What were the stepping stones from that first realization that women had these really unique health needs to later achieving institutional change to recognize those needs? I began to say to myself, you know, women become pregnant sometimes when they don't want to. Then they have trouble getting an abortion. And maybe all that difficulty in controlling some of their reproduction is because of the way they're socialized. So it was kind of a a process of thinking through what are these connections. And then we went on sabbatical to Australia in 1987. And although I thought of Australia as a very macho country, they had in every state a big program looking at women's health. And when I got back, I decided that we have to do that on McMaster as well. There were people in all of the five medical schools that I knew who were also interested in women's health. And we came together and formed an organization, which we called uh, WISC, Sweep Out Discrimination. <laughs> That's why we called it WISC. So we applied to the Ontario Faculties of Medicine that they should have a gender issues committee, and we convinced them to do that. From that, we began to develop policies. We did research on uh, representation of women in the higher echelons of leadership in terms of salaries and so on. Meanwhile, I was also appointed at school on a number of committees dealing with women's health, and there were some studies on women's faculty. So these all seemed to come together. How did people respond to your work? I'll tell you what a friend of mine just said now when she told me to congratulate me. She said, who nominated you for the... uh, Hall of Fame. And I said to Dean, and she said, I can't believe that when you go back 20 years and you think about how we had to fight, some people used to walk out on us and leave nasty notes. 
and the guys would say, oh, there goes the gender lady. <laughs> we didn't get intimidated. What do you think shifted that attitude? Gradually, over time, society has changed. There's been a lot of emphasis on violence against women, on racism. So it's been a gradual social development in which I played a part in terms of uh, working with people in academia and probably being ahead of a lot of other people in terms of the timing. And I think my part was that I was brought up in a very liberal family, and I was very conscious of the fact that there are social factors which influence health, which, frankly, a lot of people in medical school who came from wealthy families, doctors, kids, and so on, weren't that conscious of that. Many of the professional barriers that you highlighted in your research on female doctors, including the impact of having a family, are still concerns for women entering medicine today. Are we really seeing progress on these issues now that there's more awareness? It's better in terms of leadership, but uh, many women cannot undertake leadership roles, particularly their younger uh, time of their career, because they're raising small families and they're carrying the weight. And th- there's always that family career conflict. We used to say that uh, men who want to be leaders, they, their career path is a fairly straight career path upwards. Whereas women may go through cycles in their uh, career development depending on whether or not they have family, uh, what their husbands are doing, and so on. How does your experiences as a woman in leadership color your lens on this issue? Well, let me tell you one thing that I did encounter. I became the Associate Dean of Health Services. I found out that I had been offered something like 20000 or $25,000 less than my predecessor. I was so grateful because I'd been given a raise from my uh, position as a uh, professor, but uh, not in a leadership role. Based on the work you've done on gender and practice patterns, how do you see the profession changing as more women become doctors? It transforms it a little bit. I mean, there was a very low proportion of women in some of the specialties like neurosurgery and orthopedics. And I think now with more women in medicine and more women entering those professions, younger women see them as role models and see that it's possible to do that. So I think that's changing in terms of career choices. In terms of what uh, women were doing, it seemed that women were, first of all, working fewer hours, but not much fewer. They were earning less at that time, and they tended to do more counseling and uh, supportive emotional work uh, than men. And those were the kinds of patterns we saw. Now, that wasn't universal because one of the people we interviewed at one point said, just because I have ovaries, don't expect me to be a sob sister. What do you think about the argument that doctors' pay and prestige will decrease as more women join the profession? I'm not surprised to hear you say that because I've heard that for a long time. I have trouble with that because I don't believe that women are of lower status. And um, I don't think it will become a lower – it may become a more caring profession. I mean, nobody says that. Uh, It could become a more caring profession to become a profession that wasn't so workaholic because the standard male position was expected to work 80 hours a week and not have anything to do with family, and he had a nice wife at home who did all the work for him. That was standard stereotype. What do you see as the next frontier in women's health? There has to be an emphasis on the other determinants of women's health and how they interact with sex. 
uh, women in general are poor because uh, their work life has been often discontinuous, their pensions are lower, they live longer than men, generally speaking, although uh, that may change as men start having a better lifestyle. So I think that in terms of what's to be done, there has to be more attention to the social sciences when you're training doctors, as far as I'm concerned. Purely biological medical training doesn't prepare people for dealing with people.